Here's what's ahead of us on Abounding Grace. We're to do what God has called us to do. I know it sounds simple enough, but there's often a battle between doing what God has called us to do and doing what we want to do. There's a lot of jealousy and envy in the body of Christ over what other people are called to do and the fact that we haven't been called to do that. There are many people that look at someone else's calling, someone else's giftings, and become very jealous at what God has called someone else to do, not satisfied with what you've been called to do. I think it's one of the many frustrations of our Christian experience. It's created by our desires to be something that God didn't make us. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church, Colorado. We'll meet you in 2 Kings 15. Today, Ed will encourage us to be exactly who God has called us to be. Now, that may look differently than your friend or the person sitting next to you at church, but rather than be jealous of what others have, we should gladly embrace it. After all, God knows what's best, right? Here's Pastor Ed to explain. 2 Kings chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, would you open there? 2 Kings chapter 15, as we turn our attention back to the southern kingdom of Judah, as we meet a man by the name of Azariah, or some of you might know him better as Uzziah. So pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15, 2 Kings. It was in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, that Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. Verse 3, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Azariah rested with his fathers, and they buried him. They buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Mentioned here is Azariah. We, all, we know him better as Uzziah. And you'll recall in Isaiah chapter 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah received that vision. It was being in the presence of the Lord, and he had the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And that word that went out, Who shall we, who shall we send? And, and Isaiah cries out, He send me. And that's this king. He was well loved. Overall, he was a good king. Uh, he's known for many great things. But when we get to the Chronicles, Again, as we continue our study, we get to Chronicles. We're going to find out how well he led, how well he fought, even as he inspired true love among God. But 
And then, you know, for here in 2 Kings 15, 4, it's the word accept. And so, but what he did is he went into the temple and tried to offer incense. And that's what's missing here in 2 Kings. That's what caused the leprosy. The judgment of God came upon him because he attempted to go in and do what only the priest was ordained to do. He wanted to offer incense, and he was warned not to do it, and he did it anyway. And he was given leprosy right then and there. Now, it reminds us, and it's important for us to really realize in our lives that we're to do what God has called us to do. I know it sounds simple enough, but there's often a battle between doing what God has called us to do and doing what we want to do. There's a lot of jealousy and envy in the body of Christ over what other people are called to do and the fact that we haven't been called to do that. There are many people that look at someone else's calling, someone else's giftings, and become very jealous at what God has called someone else to do, not satisfied with what you've been called to do. I think it's one of the many frustrations of our Christian experience. It's created by our desires to be something that God didn't make us. And I believe one of the most frustrating things that a Christian attempts to do is to do or be what God hasn't called them to do or be. But rather to discover our spiritual gifts as God has given to us by His grace, the very presence of His Holy Spirit, not because of our performance and not because of our good works, but because how good God is, that not only does He give us life, not only does He give us spiritual life, not only are we born again, not only did He meet us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, not only did He demonstrate His love to us on the cross, and on and on that list can go, but He also gives us spiritual gifts that thereby we might be able to serve Him and fit perfectly in the body, in the body of Christ, the family of God to be used not only in the church, but to be used in the world. We have a problem with comparison. And when we compare, we almost always find someone that we think is better off than we are and leads to discouragement and discontentment. I mean, think about it. Think about the things in our lives that we, we compare cars, we compare clothes, we compare houses, we compare paychecks, we compare families, churches, ministries, so much so that it just creates frustration and disobedience. You see, you have been uniquely created and fitted for the body of Christ as God desires. And it's always frustrating to try to be something or someone that God didn't make us. I've certainly been there myself and experienced great frustration as I found myself either jealous or envious or wanting something else or wanting a position and wanting something other than just my satisfaction and abiding in Jesus Christ and in just enjoying everything else's bonus by, by him and to him and for him. When you're serving God in the calling that he's given you, in the power that he supplies to you, there's great joy. Oh, you know, you may get tired in the work for sure, but not tired of the work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, it says that the love of Christ compels us. 
The love of Christ moves us and motivates us. So here, as we're introduced as Azariah, we're not given much in, information here uh, of his ministry. We'll get there in Second Chronicles, you know, in the 20s, like maybe 26. But we learn that he made the mistake of doing something that God had not called him to do, and he paid with his life, and he died in isolation. Isn't that what sin will do to a person? It will isolate you. And we've looked in previous studies of how leprosy is a type of, of the progression of sin in a person's life. But enough for us today to see that it's highlighted that in verse 5, he was a leper till the day of his death and he dwelt in an isolated house. You know, when you harbor sinful behaviors in your life, when you live in an unrepentant state, when you try to cover your sinful actions with the thought of freedom and all things are lawful for me, you need to read the rest of the verse. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. Not all things are from the Lord. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are beneficial for you or for the body of Christ. Sin will bring isolation in your life. You can be in a room of hundreds of people, and sin will still bring isolation, where you're not able to connect with God because the Word of God is just conviction upon conviction. Come to me. It's God saying, I beg of you. I reason with you. Look, look to the cross and find yourself in a place of repentance. And so I see through his bad mistake, he not only is living with leprosy and the effects of leprosy, but he dies in isolation. And that's simply not God's heart for you or for me. Verse 8 now. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. Now, again, when we're going through the kings, we have all these different... It's, it would be the equivalent of mentioning to you someone named John. There's a lot of Johns. And so when you see Zechariah here, this is not Zechariah the prophet. This is Zechariah the king. And so a lot of names are repeated just like names are repeated for us. And so this is a king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 9. As his fathers had done, he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the Acts of Zechariah, uh, indeed, are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And this was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. And so although there was only one kingly dynasty in Israel, there were eight dynasties, eight separate family dynasties in Judah. One was Jehu. And when he destroyed the altars of Baal, uh, he destroyed the altars in Baal worship, God promised that his family would reign for four generations. Zechariah ends up reigning, but he's assassinated. uh, And he comes, I love this in verse 12, um, he reminds us of what God said. And then at the end it says, so it was. And it's true for everything that God says, you know. Whatever God says, so it was. That's coming. You're like, well, but Ed, it hasn't come yet. It's coming. There's a day coming where you can write on the banner of your life that God gave a promise, God gave a word, God gave a scripture, and you can look forward to these same four words in your life, and so it was. But it's by faith, isn't it? It's trusting in the word of God, even against what we see, even against what we feel, and we just trust that God's word is true. We know in the past that it's come to pass. We know that even in the present, we've had things come to pass. And so whatever we're waiting for in the future, whatever is in line with the heart and the character and the nature of God, you can look forward to those four words. And so it was. You might want to mark it, put a star next to it, and just say, I believe this by faith as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Verse 13. 
Shalom, the son of Jabez, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. He made it a month. Verse 14, And Menahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Terzah, came to Samaria, struck Shalom, the son of Jabez, in Samaria, and killed him, and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom uh, and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. So there's anarchy and chaos now, these many generations of kings coming down the line. Kings are being murdered one after another, one's taking the throne, then there's another conspiracy. Verse 17, in the, or verse 16, then from Terzah, Menahem attacked Tipshah and all who were there in its territory because they did not open it to him, therefore he attacked it. And all the women there who were with child, he ripped open. And in the 39th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. And, verse 18, it shouldn't surprise us, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Verse 19, Pool, the king of Assyria, ah, mark that, Assyria, Assyria is a very important nation in the life of Israel, and we'll get to that. But notice, Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom in his hand. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel, from all the very wealthy, from each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of kings of Israel? So Menahem rested with his fathers and then Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. So now in light of Zechariah's death, Menahem kills his assassin, Tipshah, and is now ruling in his place. And he ends up raising the taxes of the people to bribe the king of Assyria so that he wouldn't come and invade Israel. Now, Besides back in, for the you note-takers, besides the mention back in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11, this is the first mention of Assyria as a rising power against the nation of Israel and in some degrees the nation of Judah. For the Bible student, there's so much study in the Word, even geopolitical decisions and maneuvers that is fascinating stuff. Now, I didn't read the article myself, but I w it was mentioned to me today that recently in the news there was a pact signed between Iran, Syria, Turkey, and Russia. Very interesting stuff for you Bible students. Very interesting stuff of the things that we are involved in today that take us back to the time when Ezekiel was writing, for looking forward to these nations that would rise up in an alliance against Israel. So I'm going to have to go back and look for that article. If you guys have it, send it to me so I can read it and post it because the Bible not only speaks of past actions that were prophesied, but also the fulfillment of prophecy that in your day and age, you are seeing things in these last days that literally no other generation has ever seen before. It is fascinating stuff that is intended not to make us prophecy buffs as much as it is to cause us to live and surrender to the God of prophecy. 
And so we study prophecy and we understand uh, the urgency of the coming of Jesus Christ, not simply to say that we know this and to tie all the pieces together, but rather to live lives of purity and honesty and fidelity, doing the business of the king until he comes so that we don't fall asleep like the, t- like the five foolish virgins that Jesus spoke about, that were not ready, that did not keep their lamps trimmed, and were not ready, and they, they were just ignorant of the urgency of the coming of the groom. And so fascinating stuff. I look forward to reading it. But geopolitical stuff is all throughout the Bible. And Assyria here is mentioned. There's so much study as things are rising up And we'll get to the significance of Assyria in a moment. Now, verse 23. In the 50th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. And guess what? Verse 24. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Let me just pause for a second and comment real quickly on the fact that you may come from a family line that as you look backwards, and you look backwards perhaps to your father or your mother, your grandfather and your grandmother, your great-grand, and you look back to the line, you may find that each successive generation, the same thing could be said for them. They did evil on the side of the Lord. They did evil on the side of the Lord. They didn't serve God. They were idolatrous, perhaps living in drunkenness or distant from God. And you kind of look back and you go, man, my family tree is, is pretty rotten in many ways. I love my family, but it was your generation, your generation. God entered into your family tree in your generation to not only make a difference for all the coming generations, but to speak backwards into all the generations that are still alive, that God is still at work. And even though now you're born and there's this false teaching today that, you know, you kind of have this family curse and that there's no way you can get out. Listen, Jesus Christ dying on the cross broke every curse. By faith, there are no curse on your family. You could go back generation and generation, but now it's you that has changed. So that you can wake up in the morning and say, so-and-so is saved. And you look back and go, yeah, but all my generations, all that, man, it was just my family tree, man. I went on and they were looking at, at all those DNA tests. And man, the more and more I look and man, oh, my family's jacked, man. It was bad. And even until the age 23, I was bad. But listen, when a person is born again, the curse is broken. The curse of sin, not a curse on a family. It's the curse we all share apart from Jesus Christ. It's the curse of sin, the separation of a person from God because of their own sinful decisions, that you're not judged because of the sins of your fathers or your grandfathers. The judgment in our lives comes upon our own sin. And when you're born again, it is immediately broken. And you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a battle between the spirit and the flesh because we live in these fleshly bodies. We live in a fallen world. We have a threefold enemy. We have the enemy of this world system. We have the enemy of our own flesh. And of course, the devil is the puppet master putting it all together. But listen, you have all that's necessary to live a righteous and godly and holy life already residing in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant provides so much more power so much more love, so much more opportunity by faith. That's the key, faith, trusting in what God has said and accessing it. So 
would just keep hearing of all of these bad kings. And he, did, he didn't repent of the sins. He didn't. And that's really the key, isn't it? In verse 9, he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That's the issue. That's the pain. He chose not to depart from the previous pattern of sins. And then, uh, uh, then uh, what are we in? Verse 25. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria, in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Arie, and with him fifty men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. And now the rest of the acts of Pekahiah and all that he did, indeed, they are, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Verse 27. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 20 years. And verse 28 shouldn't surprise us. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Listen, God does not have to repeat this over and over again. The space in the Bible is reserved You know, because we're told in the New Testament that Jesus Christ did and said many other things, that there isn't enough books, that there's not enough volumes to write all the things that Jesus did. So God, in his inspiration of the Bible, very specifically chose what he wanted to reserve in both the Old and the New Testament. And so when something is repeated over and over and over again, there is a purpose to that. And this phrase constantly, choosing not to depart from previous sins, is a very important one. Or even presently, choosing not to depart from sinful patterns, not to choose the way of righteousness, not to repent, not to humble. It's there on purpose, repetitively, over and over again. God doesn't waste His words. We're in the middle of a study in 2 Kings with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. His message is framed around 2 Kings 15, and you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Pastor Ed, today you pulled out from the text that we are to be who God has called us to be. Why do you think so many of us struggle with that and have feelings of jealousy or envy of what others have? Wow, Larry, isn't this a struggle for many? I have to agree with you. And with the invention of social media, uh, I find myself having to fast for a period of time uh, looking through Instagram. I mean, I'm not even on Facebook anymore because of the way people post and the things people say. I, I, it's not healthy for my soul to be involved in that. And so I haven't been on Facebook for almost a year and a half, I think. I still post there so I can encourage people with scriptures and stuff, but I don't go there anymore. I don't read it. I don't get involved in it. I don't answer it. Uh, There's just so much that stirs up the flesh. And Instagram, when you're reading, uh, looking through people's pictures, it's really easy to, you know, you see a picture of this great meal, this big steak and big potato there, and you're looking down at your re, uh, you, uh, what is it, your reheated macaroni and cheese, you know, you're like, oh man, I wish I was eating what they're eating. And 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 yet it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? I, I think that the enemy's always trying to get us in the flesh. He's always trying to get us into our carnality, into the baseness of who we are. And And one of the things we all deal with at one level or another is contentment. And sometimes it is jealousy and envy. And, and it's not just, oh, I wish I had, but it's, I wish I had, and I wish they didn't have. Uh, and, and it just gets so dirty and difficult. And 
May the Lord deliver us from it all. While I don't know exactly all the motives behind why, you know, we're jealous and discontent, I do know it's an issue of the flesh. And and the Bible promises us in the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And and I have to say, most of the time I'm able to go through my Instagram feed and just be so excited and so encouraged by the lives of others, and just be happy for them, be happy with them, and also be content with what the Lord is doing in my life. But I do struggle with it sometimes myself, and I just ask the Lord to forgive me and to be appreciative of all that He's done and all that He's doing in my life, and to be happy when other people are blessed too. Thanks, Larry. Great question. A good reminder to be happy for what God is doing in others' lives and content with what He's doing in and through us. Abounding grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. As the title of the book would suggest, God's grace really does change everything in our lives. It's how we're birthed into the family of God and how we grow, too. It makes all the difference as you travel through the ups and downs of life. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll return to Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 